0: Welcome to Healthcare and Hire, a podcast for healthcare professionals and aspiring healthcare executives looking for information, association, and inspiration from higher level leaders across the healthcare industry. I'm Iqbal Acha, career consultant, healthcare recruiter, and registered pharmacist. Every week, I sit down to interview healthcare executives, clinical leaders, medical entrepreneurs, and industry experts to learn how they got to where they are today. What they see as the future of healthcare, and what they're doing to make healthcare more accessible, affordable, and effective. Let's find out more about today's guest. Sam Mirage is the Vice President of Clinical Quality and Safety at ROE. She leads a team of professionals that empower healthcare providers through technology to provide high quality, safe care when and where patients need it most. In addition to her role at ROE, Sam is also a board member for the Unbiased Science Institute a nonprofit organization dedicated to improving access and combating scientific misinformation. Prior to joining Ro, she served as the Senior Director of Quality, Safety, and Reporting for Walmart Health and Wellness. Sam received her bachelor's degree in medicine and surgery from Dow University and her master's degree in public health from Benedictine University. Her passions include public health, quality, innovation, and access. Hello, Dr. Miraj. Welcome to the Healthcare and Higher podcast.
1: Hi, Iqbal. How are you doing?
0: I'm doing wonderful. How about yourself?
1: I'm doing very well this morning. Thank you.
0: Excellent. And I'm saying that because I know prior to starting this conversation, uh, we were both sharing how today is day 23 of Ramadan. So for those of you that are listening today uh, and remember that Ramadan is the fasting month for Muslims, uh, we are at the very tail end of a 30, 29, 30 day stretch. Um, and so we were both both eagerly talking about how we are working through our day to day activities, sans coffee. And I, that will probably be the very first thing that I consume uh, after Eid. I don't know about you, uh, Sam.
1: No, that is absolutely true. I'm a chai drinker, so I am so looking forward to going back to four cups of tea a day.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. That, you've got a strong stomach, but, you know, it keeps a sharp mind.
1: <laughs> well, caffeine helps.
0: Yes, it does. Um, and do you mind if I call you, Sam?
1: Of course not.
0: Thank you. Well, Sam, you and I have known each other for quite some time. I'm so excited to have you on the show. Many people that are listening today are either going to be familiar with you Familiar with me, or in some cases unfamiliar with both of us. Why don't we take this opportunity and have you introduce yourself properly? Tell us a little bit about who you are, what your role is, and how do you help take healthcare to a higher level?
1: Uh, so definitely, I am Samiraj. I am a public health trained physician. And um, at Roe, right now, my role is Vice President of Clinical Quality and Safety uh, as a member of Medical Affairs team. So at Roe, we are working to build a patient-centric healthcare system. And today, we are doing that through the direct-to-patient platform that offers nationwide virtual and in-home care, pharmacy, diagnostic services, etc., um, in my role, I am responsible for a team focused on empowering providers through technology to provide high-quality, safe care when and where the patient needs it the most. So this work is incredibly rewarding for me because it is important to Rose mission to support our affiliated providers into the lives of our patients. Day-to-day, um, day, my team works to continually improve the delivery and experience of care through the Rose platform of establishing, monitoring, evaluating, taking any required actions on quality and safety measures and outcomes. So fundamentally it is very, it is a very cross-functional team and cross-functional work that sees us work together. Um, with other teams such as clinical, data, product, medical operations, et cetera. And I believe that at row we are taking care to a high, we are taking healthcare to a higher level because there is nothing more rewarding to me um, than innovation in the healthcare space. Um, while never losing sight of the ultimate goal, which is advancing health equity and achieving the best outcome for the patients in a safe environment. So throughout my career, and today at Row, I believe that technology can play a big role in improving healthcare for patients. In this role, for example, we can use technology and data to build tools that strengthen safety protocols, drive continuous improvement. Um, And it is very exciting to see what is possible when you bring together the type of clinical, technical, and data expertise on a team then you can truly make a difference, not only for the patient, but also for providers who are so dedicated to delivering the best possible care.
0: I love how you've defined how Roe operates in its mindset, because as an entity, you know, we've all seen so many changes across the board within different organizations, within the the United States, even globally, especially post-pandemic, and how technology has been instrumental in bridging the divide between patients providers uh, and the diagnostics as well, but to have it all in-house and allow for that uh, is really, really remarkable. You know, many of the listeners today, I'm sure are familiar as I am with Roe, uh, really just through some of the the few touch points that maybe we have had uh, as consumers of uh, electronic uh, information, right? So I know I've seen a lot of commercials about Roman, uh, which is one of the arms of Roe uh, and, you know, introducing us to more about men's health services that are provided through Roe, but Roe has actually been around for over like five five years, I believe it began in 2017. Uh, and it's really expanded quite a bit. In fact, in my research, uh, some of the things that I found that were really remarkable that in that time, row has actually been instrumental in uh, helping 6 million patients uh, have a healthcare visit. There've been 48 million patient touch points, uh, and 98% of the country is actually covered by uh, row services. So whether you're living in a high rise in Atlanta, or you're living in the rural parts of Iowa, uh, Ro is accessible for these patients, and I think that that's a really critical piece. Uh, but it's not just you know what you've already done; it's the fact that you know you've already taken quite a few, quite a few leaps in different ed, uh, areas. Um, For example, as I mentioned, the the digital health for men, Roe, but you've also uh, moved forward and made some uh, very important acquisitions. Uh, So I know that WorkPath was acquired a couple of years back, and that allows phlebotomists now to come to patients' homes, draw blood, and then run the diagnostics in partnership with Quest Diagnostics, which I think is remarkable. Uh, And then recently, there's been two acquisitions, if I'm not mistaken, Modern Fertility, uh, and then Kit. So you know, Roe is really moving and advancing the pace of how healthcare technology and services can be accessible uh, for patients, no matter where they are and no matter, you know, what their needs are uh, and, and where that's going to be. But, you know, I'm a LinkedIn junkie. Uh, I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn. So I think it was also important when I realized that Roe was actually ranked number 27 on the top 50 LinkedIn's uh, startup list of 2021. I mean, these are all remarkable f- and milestones of a company that's really just been around for a very short time. And, you know, for you to be at the position that you're in and oversee quality and safety, that means that this is an organization that is extremely serious about its mission and its vision. So I'm really you know excited that you're here on the show because when listeners hear this, I hope that they understand that you know the world is changing at a pace that's very rapid, but you need good people with good safeguards and good ideas to ensure that the best products, best service, best quality uh, in the healthcare space are provided to patients that are in the most need. Um, so I'm very excited about this as well maybe Sam, you can share with us a little bit about, you know, some of the things that you've seen. I know that you've been in the, with the company now for about four, three, four months, if I'm not mistaken, is that correct?
1: About three months. Okay.
0: About three months. So you've had an opportunity with, to come in to this organization that has these multiple branches again, Ro for, uh, you know, men's health, Rory for women's health, I work path, phlebotomy. You've also got uh, mind health for, um, or mind for mental health. So you are able to see things in a very holistic perspective and your touch point along with your team uh, is there to ensure that all of these different arms are following the best protocols, best guidelines, you know, I'd love to hear a little bit about some of the things that you have been able to make an impact on at ROW so far in your tenure, or if you can share with me you know, what, what's already come out as an outcome or a result, uh, then maybe you can, we can talk about an initiative that you're currently involved with in your team to ensure safeguards, rails, uh, and then also the best quality control is also in place.
1: Yeah, in my team. So, you know, Iqbal, thank you so much. I agree with everything that you have said about Ro. I think that we are able to help those people who are living in primary care deserts and with the access to the all the telehealth visits. A lot of the services that we provide, you know, sometimes people are worried about seeking those services because of the stigma or the discrimination that is associated with them. So, you know, access to things like sexual health, fertility treatments, those are things that um, when you do it in a telehealth environment secure, they can be confident and they don't feel stigmatized. And then there are those who are uninsured and, you know, we don't require any insurance for our services, so I think that we really can help the patient in that way as well. So one of the things that, for example, my team is hyper focused on, as you said, that there are all these different services and the different arms um, within row where um, you know we are trying to take care of the patient. Now the same patient can be utilizing multiple services, um, and our in our team in my small amount of uh, time that I've spent for the company, we have started focusing on looking at the patient in a more holistic way, you know, the single patient, the services that we are providing to them, and how we are communicating to our providers what the outcomes are and what the expectations are, because we have a luxury and also we have a challenge. When we are doing it in absence of payers, in absence of insurance, then we don't have the guardrails that we have to measure this or we have to measure risk measures or etc. We can define the gold standard and go above and beyond what the industry standard is to set those expectations and communicate them to our provider in a very, very unique way. You know, we are dealing with a patient who may not have had access to those services before, who may not have even tried to see those services before. Are we meeting their needs? Are we exceeding expectations? And I uh, am very proud to say that my team is bringing that lens to the services that we provide. Um, and it's very helpful to our providers and our
0: patient. I love that. And you know, I think it's important that we also call that out, right? Because you know, sometimes I think that Old practitioners like myself have this tendency to know, hey, this is how the world was. You had these other parties, third party insurance, uh, you know, regulating bodies that would come in and, you know, have these guidelines that they enforced upon you and that you had to comply with their policies and protocols uh, in either party that I'm referring to, right, payer or government oversight. But here's an organization that recognizes that while that's not, you know, applicable here in this situation, it's important to retain those types of, you know, that focus. Uh, because ultimately, my goal is, or my hope, my understanding is, is that, you know, as your company starts to attract more individuals uh, with or without insurance, that they are still going to be, you know, looking for a quality uh, service, quality product, and then to be able to promote uh, the organization to its friends and family members so that you know the company grows. And to be honest with you, the outcomes aspect of it is so critical. Um, you know, we, we see the rising cost of healthcare across the board, whether it is uh, pharmaceutical products, whether it is healthcare services, whether it's diagnostics, like all of these things are increasing. And so being able to provide these services in a virtual capacity, um, you know, also allows that, but ensures that the best uh, is being delivered. You know, I'm very curious to understand, Sam. You know, when you think about uh, virtual care, and we, you know, we talk a little bit about how um, we talk a little bit about how the world is changing. Again, I'm an older practitioner; I have my mindsets. Uh, but you know, the adoption rate is actually something that I usually talk to about uh, with you know with 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 digital health companies, right? We we see people that you know either go to it because they are you know digitally uh, digitally aversed. Uh, You know, children that grew up with an iPad in their hands at the age of one or two, uh, these individuals will naturally gravitate towards that. But, you know, your population is a little different. Uh, Your population is probably around my age, around like the average, if I read correctly, like half of your patients are over the age of 40. Um, And we did not necessarily grow up with an iPad and iPhone, right? So it's taken us a little bit to adopt with that. How do you see the future of digital health and healthcare technology playing a role to direct patient care? I think that that's going to be interesting because, you know, we've seen so many uh, digital health companies come out, uh, and Ro is one of them that has been able to offer these services and products uh, to people that don't have uh, access to somebody on site or you know in town. Uh, but you know, what is the next level where Ro wants to you know break boundaries and go above and beyond what is already currently available?
1: Yeah. So you know, one important thing I think in my mind, the more I've learned about the direct-to-patient healthcare, set, it makes it puts patient back in charge of their health it takes them beyond that ability beyond that space that we are used to that you know your insurance company is telling you or someone else is telling you here is what you need um you know you really need a hug but we will only cover a smile um <laughs> it, it you know it, <laughs> So, so the thing is that it really puts patient back in charge. They can ask questions. They can seek the care they need. And to do it in an equitable, accessible, affordable manner is, I think, what the patient today wants and needs. So just like you said, Iqbal, Rose started with just one digital men's health clinic and within a few years, it has grown to help patients across the country and it has addressed so many of health needs and conditions that are important to them. So while I'm new to Row, I have already learned so much about what the company has accomplished over the past few years. And that has made me so excited for the next five because I really see sky as the limit. Um, I think that the direct-to-patient healthcare model will continue to grow as more patients see it as a high-quality, safe, and affordable option to seek care, um, whether it is physical or mental health, whether it is skin care, whether it is something that they find important to their uh, quality of life or, or, you know, embarrassing to seek care for, um, or, you know, they, they feel like it is a stigmatized, it really puts them back in charge and they can take they can take control of that. For Row, we are excited to integrate more types of services, including in-home care and diagnostics through WorkPath and KID, uh, just as you mentioned. And those services will enable us to continue to safely add high-quality care and treatments for our platform to address more and more of our patients' needs. For example, currently, we are um, Focused on metabolic health, metabolic needs. So you know those are the kind of services that we integrate and um, we we focus on in order to you know start thinking about what does our patient need and how do we address these needs. As we do this, it is important that we continue to earn the trust of our patients and our providers through our dedication to leading the way in not only meeting the industry standards for quality and safety, just like I said, but helping to set new gold standards.
0: I really like that. And, you know, the idea of expanding in-home services as a digital health company is almost oxymoronic when I hear it, right? It's not a bad thing. It's just so remarkable to see, you know, what the opportunities are available today. Uh, And you mentioned metabolic services and that's another arm I know that Ro has, I believe it's called Plenity, right? If I'm not mistaken, right? Yes. Yes.
1: Right Right now, really focused on weight loss and really focused on helping people achieve, helping our patients achieve their best metabolic health. So, you know, and we are thinking about what are the metabolic health needs? Really, if you think about obesity, it is one of the leading problems in this country. And it is one of those things that if you think about public health wise, what are the top 10 causes of mortality? You know, cardiac disease or um uh, even obesity contributes to so many cancers. It contributes to so many other issues. So addressing that with patient, helping them achieve the best, um, you know, the, the weight that they want to be, helping them achieve their goals, it is so much important to their long-term health and long-term well-being.
0: I agree with you 100%. <laughs> Sam, you know, prior to this role, you know, you've had a extensive career in clinical quality, compliance. Uh, Prior to this, I know then this is where we met, right? You were the senior director of quality and safety at Walmart. And then prior to that, you were also a manager of billing compliance for pharmacy, clinic, optometry. And you've also spent quite a bit of time in public health. And all of these really were brought to the forefront over the last two years because of COVID-19. Uh, you know, a lot of these things that, you know, many, many organizations, of course, had some uh, blueprint or some playbook to address a global catastrophe or, or just a simple catastrophe. Right. But not at the scale of what we saw. Uh, and you were actually at the forefront of managing the organization uh, through a lot of this change. And I'm kind of curious, like, because you were a pioneer in this space for Walmart, uh, you know, when you were working in that space, you know, when you think about the amount of involvement and insight that you gained from that, like, what do you think is going to be needed to minimize impact of Future global pandemics. I'm sure there will be more. I'm sure that everyone, whether we're talking to an epidemiologist or you know the C-suite level, like these are always things on the in the in the back of our mind that okay, what is the next one going to happen? But given through what we've seen in the last two years, like the playbook did not work. Like the playbook was just well, this is not effective, and you and your team had to learn how to be able to adjust, adapt, uh, and then amplify what you could to offer services. So now that you're you know working with Ro, uh, you know row actually you know grew and flourished in this environment because of exactly that. There was very little availability for traditional model uh, healthcare services to be delivered. Um, so you know when you think about two years, five years, 10 years, whatever uh, the next big thing comes to hit. How, how should healthcare companies uh, and healthcare delivery models amplify themselves and adjust faster to be able to address that going forward?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. So first, Iqbal, I want to acknowledge that at Walmart, that is one of the biggest accomplishments that I'll always be proud of, being a part of the COVID-19 response um, obviously, there there were a lot of great leaders that I worked with and worked for, and uh, a, a big team that you know uh, was focused on COVID nineteen response and made things happen. So I'm so very thankful for all the leadership that the organization provided and supported us with. I think there are a few things that organizations in general have to keep their eyes on and keep in mind. You know, this was not the first pandemic this is not going to be the last pandemic and beyond pandemics there are other public health emergencies that we have to think about you know including natural disasters including man made disasters including you know so many challenges that surface so the previous one for example ebola it thank God, did not escalate to a point that we saw COVID-19 escalate. That would have been catastrophic because it has a very high um, mortality rate compared to COVID-19. So that would have been even even worse. But before that, we had a coronavirus uh, outbreak that happened in uh, like over a decade before this. And at that time, a lot of the groundwork was done for the vaccines that we have for COVID today, but that groundwork went away because the pandemic never, like it never escalated to a point that we saw at this time, and you know all that work was stopped. All that funding was stopped. All the research dried off. Uh, so, so you know there were no more resources put into that. If resources had continued to be put into that we would have had a much faster development of vaccines. Even I think this was in record time in public health that we have seen these vaccines develop. But, you know, it would have been a much faster and a much smoother response. So I think that we have to continue to learn we have to continue to learn as healthcare organizations as well as other organizations. You know, one mistake that we make is public health and healthcare while they are very closely related and while we have to continue bringing them together, they are two separate fields. So, you know, a lot of times people gravitate towards clinical healthcare practitioners and, and, you know, they gravitate towards them for public health advice when really it is a field of its own the way I describe it is that if you if you think about a stream, which is coming down, and a stream has injured people in it, our healthcare providers are going to be towards the end of the stream, pulling those people out, trying to save them, trying to see how many lives they can save. Our public health practitioners are going to be at the top of the stream trying to figure out why people are falling in in the first place. Um, So, you know, while those two things are so closely connected and they have to work together, there is a little bit of distinction and difference between the two. And we have to keep that in mind. Data transparency and and being transparent and having the courage to be vulnerable and say, you know, we don't have all the information that we need, but here is the best that we can do. And here is the best that, uh, you know, we need to be doing. And despite of even when the pandemic, slows down or, or you know, goes away. Not taking your eyes off of that preparedness and saying that, you know, how do we modify this playbook? What are the possible scenarios that can happen? How do we globally monitor the threats that are coming and, and you know, monitor the ones that are escalating? I think those are all important public health initiatives. Now, my experience in public health has been whenever something has to take a budget cut, unfortunately, uh, especially <laughs> at the health departments or, you know, at the, at the state level, usually it is public health. You know, usually they say, let's cut the public health funding because who needs it? We all need it every single day from the water that we are drinking Until, you know, the healthcare that we are receiving, public health is a part of the fiber of our daily life. And unless we are going to start recognizing that, we are not going to be setting ourselves up for success.
0: Sam, I've never heard that description of how public health and healthcare practitioners uh, defined as beautifully as you've just done. Uh, I never thought of it that way. And now my paradigm has been completely shattered. Uh, of how public health is such a critical piece. You know, most of the time, you are absolutely right. Like, you know, here in Illinois, we, we saw Dr. Arwadi uh, and uh, Dr. Ngoze, uh, you know, Engose always like talking about like the current situation here in Chicagoland about how the pandemic was impacting. Right. And it was always like, oh, you're, you know, as a public health official, you're really here just to give us large numbers of what is happening today Rather than, you know, understanding, as you've just described, like, it's at the top of the river, it's at the top of the stream. And if we can stop it there, we'll not have this crisis. And I think that that's something that that's a takeaway for me. Uh, I will not, I will not forget this going forward now. Uh, Great, great analogy. Great analogy. We'll be right back after this short break.
1: That's fantastic.
0: Yeah, no, I I just again, very, very appreciative, because I'm a visual person, I have to make pictures and make, you know, videos in my head, when I hear something and so now that I've done that, you know, that's, like, I I just see the stream of logs, you know, going down. uh, And now I see like, you and other public health officials like Dr. Arwadi, like sitting at the top, like trying to stem that, you know, the, the log dam that's broken. Um, Sam, you know, to take any leap in a career is it requires a lot of thought, right, like there's opportunities, there's legacies that people create because of the work that they do in the role they are and then suddenly a new opportunity comes along, uh, just like in this case, you know, now you're serving in this Vice President capacity at Roe, um, and leaving behind what you've developed what you've built. Uh, It can be scary, uh, and it can also be very uncomfortable. So I'm always curious whenever I talk to my guests on the show, like, what are some of the things that went through your mind when this opportunity made itself available? Clearly, you know, as you know, when we think about it, oh, it's a step up, right, from a senior director to a vice president. Like, that seems very, you know, on the surface, of course, you know, this is understood. But, you know, you're a human being, you, you know, you have loved ones in your life, Uh, You have juggling responsibilities, you know, we all have different things. How did you know that this position was right for you?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Iqbal, because I was very happy and engaged at Walmart. It was not like there was I love the organization. I love what they can do for our customers in general and the patient. I'm also very passionate about public health and healthcare access, as you can tell. So when I met the team at Ro, their, their passion for patient-centered healthcare—it was so palpable that it spoke to me. And I joined the company because I believed in the mission and the team, as well as I loved the direct patient model. You know, I thought that there was so much potential, and especially after the pandemic. I thought that there is so much potential for us to do more and for us to do more uh, for the patient what we are trying to do at ROW. So the challenge to define the other thing that was really important for me, you know, challenge to define the quality and safety standards in telehealth and the direct to patient space, it has not been done very much at this point. It is not very well defined so you know the the opportunity and the challenge to maybe even identify what does gold standard look like you know what do we need to be doing how do we make sure that in this new age and p- probably as our children grow up and as like you said you know they grow up with their ipads this is going to become so much more important for them how do i make sure that my child tomorrow if they're utilizing telehealth they're getting the best the safest the highest quality care that uh, they can I don't ever believe in taking a position that's not going to align with my values and that's not going to align with what I stand for. So I think all those critical, critical, critical components were there. And, uh, you know, that's, that's what spoke to me and brought me to I think that
0: that's, you know, when it speaks to the heart and when it resonates with you, you know, that, that, that speaks volumes. So I'm glad that you had that experience, Sam. I really am. Um, you know, thinking about your career, uh, you know, you made mention about like one of the greatest milestones was, you know, your ability to be part involved uh, with the pan- with the response to the pandemic at Walmart. And I think that that's, you know, that speaks volumes in in and of itself as well. But, you know, along the way, uh, you've had a lot of I'm sure you've had a lot of great leaders that you had the, the chance to work with. Uh, you've had some people that have, you know, taken you under their wing in some capacity, trained you, developed you and maybe even opened doors. Is there any one or a few individuals on the show today that you would like to publicly acknowledge for being a contributory factor in your success thus far?
1: Absolutely. You know, so many names come to my mind. I have been blessed with some great mentors and, you know, um, such as Mr. Rickerby, Mr., uh, Dr. Tom Van Gilder, who was um uh, Um, one of my bosses, one of my mentors, uh, Dr. Cheryl Pegas. I mean, there are like so many people who have mentored me, bosses and leaders that I've learned from. Donna Morris at Walmart uh, was a great source of inspiration for me. But I genuinely think the person who made the biggest difference in my career is actually my husband, because he supported me without any reservations when I wanted to take a chance of myself and go non-clinical and pursue public health instead of you know, clinical traditional medicine. Um, He supported me throughout. He coached me into becoming a better leader, empowered me to make tough decisions. I will never forget his support during the pandemic because I was working day and night, literally. And he was the one who took care of me, which enabled me to take care of everything else. So I want to take this opportunity to thank him and also to remind him to keep it up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice carrot and stick. I like that. What is your husband's name?
1: Uh, his name is Atif Miraj.
0: Atif Miraj. Well, Atif, congratulations! You've just gotten <laughs> both a, a, a love pat and a smack. <laughs> Keep it up. <laughs> um, Sam, what's next for you? Like you know, when you think about you know the the things that you've already done, you've already stamped a legacy for yourself. Uh, you know, in, in this example that you shared, but, you know, as you continue to work, not just at role, but as a human being and you're growing, like what else do you have on your professional bucket list that you want to achieve in the next maybe five or 10 years? I don't know if it's a certification, if it's a new avenue of personal growth, like how do you want to, uh, what are you pursuing today from a personal or professional passion uh, that's, that's now on a goal a list for you?
1: So I really want to continue developing my expertise and leadership in the space of uh, healthcare quality and safety, as well as public health. Right now, I am uh, training for uh, Malcolm Baldrige Excellence um, Award to be on their board of examiners, and you know it is something that is very rewarding. It is I'm really learning a lot in that training process, um, and then similarly, you know there are certifications that I want to pursue. Ultimately, Iqbal, the way I see it, in five to ten years or in future, I want to be in a capacity where I can really, in this country and globally, make a difference in the field of public health and healthcare quality. You know, I can bring that perspective. I can uh, be on the leadership decision-making table, where where I can bring that perspective and raise that voice, advocating for the patient. Um, So, you know, that's, that's really my ultimate goal. It is not tied to any title. It is not tied to any single organization or single. Okay. I want to be in this position. I want to be making this much money. It is really, I really, really, really want to make a difference.
0: And have you charted that course yet? Are there organizations or people that you look today and say, that's what I want to be when I grow up?
1: Um, I have not charted it in that way, but for example, I am serving on the board of unbiased science Institute because it is something that is very what they're trying to do is they're trying to fight scientific misinformation, it started during the pandemic. But, you know, what now we are trying to do is beyond the pandemic, there are so many things that people are misinformed about and so much misinformation on social media. And it is going to continue to be a challenge for healthcare as well as public health. You know, when people are like, OK, this disease or this is giving me cancer when it is not really doing that or, or you know, I want to go see this practitioner that may not be licensed or may not. You know, they they may be misinformed about what this person can and cannot do, and then those things do actually more harm than good. So, fighting that scientific misinformation, I I think is something that would really make a difference in the long run in in the field of public health and healthcare, and that is the reason why I'm serving on that board. Um, I don't have any particular organizations in my mind but I do make connections I am a big believer in networking and networking for the sake of really trying to do good work not for the sake of you know getting a job or getting a position or anything like that but really where can I contribute um so I I really really focus on that and um I am a big believer in opportunities and doors will open when it is time for them to open. It is it is really making yourself available and vulnerable and continue to learn. So that's that's really truly what I'm focused
0: on. You know, one thing I want to call out on this, Sam, is the fact that, you know, you continue in in the capacity that you're working in today with the multiple priorities that you're juggling. You are still prioritizing volunteerism and service. Uh, And, you know, for you to be able to say that on this show is hopefully leading by example and and giving others an idea of, you know, how really in reality, Things don't work based on just your your personal goal and your professional ambitions, right? It is a matter of being able to give back to a community that has, you know, focused on a solid mission. It's one of the reasons why I created the podcast was being able to help other people who are struggling to look for examples of where healthcare professionals have moved into an executive role because they don't see that and they don't understand that. So having you say that today is is a great lead-in for me to be able to remind our listeners That it's important to find an organization that is doing good work in an area that means something to you. If you are passionate about any causes, if you are passionate about any sort of you know uh, reasons why your healthcare professionals you know can make a difference, like go join the organization. Even if you serve in a simple capacity as a member or a committee chair, you know it doesn't have to be a title. As you as you pointed out, Sam, it simply has to be what can you add to the value of the of the work that is being done, and and it's it makes a big difference. It really does. Sam, you know. As a leader, you've had the opportunity to learn lessons and then teach lessons. Um, And throughout your career, I'm sure that you have had many lessons that you have learned that have kind of changed the way that you approach people or problems or processes. I'd love to hear an example or a story where you may have had some theoretical knowledge of how things should work. Uh, but when reality came, you realized that the practical curriculum that you had been provided was ineffective and you had to learn a new way of doing something. Um, and maybe that's become now a part of your leadership platform. You know, what are some of the lessons that you've learned and now you teach as a leader uh, that you would like to, others to understand and, and be ready for as well?
1: I will honestly tell you that as a leader, I have learned the importance of telling a good story and telling the right story, Um, because it is it is one of those things I will use pandemic again as an example because all of us face that and all of us can relate to it right we. In, in public health curriculum, we read about, okay, this happened in Spanish flu and this happened, you know, so for example, uh, masks did not work during a Spanish flu. But now when you know why they don't work, people don't use them as they are not fitted, they are not made of appropriate materials, like what are those things that actually how can we make them work? What do we need to do in order to make them work? Those kind of things and telling those stories, being transparent about facts and then acknowledging what you don't know, like you don't have all the answers all the time. And then, you know, so I have learned over the years how to tell a good story to my team, to to our patients, to, you know, the general public to say how, you know, what are the facts of the matter? What are the things that we don't know? And where are we going? What are we doing? And why are we doing it? So, you know, bringing them along, because as a leader, sometimes the difference between a leader and a boss in my mind, you know, boss will many times say, this is what we are doing and this is what you're supposed to do. Whether the person has any idea of, okay, you know, why are we doing this? Sometimes it creates so much frustration on, you know, there are better ways of doing it. Why are we doing it this way, etc. But a leader will explain it to you. They will be open to ed- listening to your ideas and addressing them and incorporating, incorporating them into ways of working. And I think that is such an important quality in leader to be able to have that, ability to be, again, be vulnerable, be open to ideas, tell a good story and achieve, bring their team along um, versus, you know, uh, just being a boss.
0: That's very important. And, you know, there's just something in the way that you delivered that lesson that is making me rethink the way that I lead teams and that the way that I interact. I mean, I try to be, uh, and I hope I am, I hope I have been a good leader thus far, but I also recognize that sometimes, you know, we have a tendency to come come up with the vision and the strategy prior to actually soliciting as much advice and as much guidance as possible. So expanding my network and being able to pull in better people to help me see things faster uh, and then having the team that's going to be involved uh, really have their, their buy-in so that they can contribute and improve that process. I think is critical. Thank you for that, Sam. That means a lot. You know, speaking of leadership, you know, I, I have uh, I'm, I'm a big podcast listener. I watch a lot of TEDx uh, and TED talks and I find uh, that there are certain Social media people like uh, Gary Vee, Jordan Peterson, Bishop T.D. Jakes, like all of these people in some capacity have an influence on me and I'm gravitating towards them to learn what they have learned and then being able to process that in a story in a story like way. Um, Is there a book or a video or maybe just an author or speaker that you are currently in love with or that you're reading uh, or consuming in some capacity as a leader to help with your own growth and that you are recommending to others for their personal growth or leadership development skills?
1: Absolutely. I really love the work uh, that's being done by Brene Brown. Uh, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown is a book that I highly recommend. And it is because the way Brene has defined a leader uh, as someone who has the responsibility to find potential in people as well as processes, which is not often what we think about when we think about leadership, we think about people, but potential in people and processes and then have the courage to develop that potential, which rings really true to me, not just professionally, but personally as well. Um, As well as she talks a lot about there is no way to be courageous without being vulnerable. I know I have said that multiple times uh, on this podcast, and that just speaks to how much I believe in it. You know, to be an effective leader, you have to be vulnerable. You have to open yourself up. You have to take some risks. So, um, you know, that's, that's something that I highly recommend uh, for people who may be interested.
0: So let me piggyback on that for one second, Sam, you know, you've mentioned vulnerability a few times, right? And there's a, there's a reward for being vulnerable, and there's the risk of being vulnerable. And when you know, most individuals think about being vulnerable, the first thing that comes to mind is criticism, ridicule, uh, disagreement, and conflict. How does a leader or how does any individual prepare for those types of responses, knowing that vulnerability is a key factor to success?
1: That's an excellent question, Iqbal. And that is making me think on how I prepare myself um, to face those situations. You're absolutely right that when you are vulnerable and when you get out of that shell of just authority and, uh, you know, make yourself open to actually listening to feedback from all directions, then sometimes that can, that can come with, you know, you can maybe, you you want to cry, you want to go in the bathroom and cry for everything you hear. But I think that acceptance is the first uh, you know acceptance and acknowledgement that sometimes that can happen and that is the meaning of being vulnerable and what do I need to take away from it and learn from it in order to improve I think as long as we keep our focus on improvement personal and professional and team and process then you know it it you are doing it with the purpose. You're not just putting yourself out there and saying, okay, I'm vulnerable, throw at me whatever you want to throw at me. You know, it, it is really with a purpose, give me constructive feedback or how can we improve this process? What are we doing wrong? And then being open to, you know, those ideas. As long as all parties understand that it is to be done with respect, And it is to be done with the lens of actual improvement and actual learning. I think that it is is helpful for everybody. It is not, um, it has never, I do that a lot in my own professional leadership style. And it has never not served me well.
0: I think that the spirit of understanding, mutual understanding is is very important. And I'm glad that you called that out, right? I think that... There are people that will not have the emotional maturity to understand that the vulnerability aspect requires you know people to accept what is given to them and use it in a constructive capacity. It's not a personal you know uh, it's not a personal criticism. it's just the outcome of the potential result. Uh, that people are talking about. So just because you suggested the idea or just because you threw it out there doesn't mean that what you, what you as an individual are incorrect. It just means that the idea is. And I think that there's an, a, a recommendation on my part, which is like to separate the emotional piece of this belongs to me. This was my thought. This was my idea. And rather this just is an idea. Let's talk about this. And then let's see what we can learn from that. Very remarkable, Sam. Thank you for that you know, when you are in an opportunity, when you are in a position to change the professional life of an individual, whether it's by hiring them onto your team uh, or promoting them from your team to somewhere else, I'm sure that you look at, you know, certain qualities about an individual to determine, are they a good fit for my team? Are they a good fit for my company? Are they a good fit for our mission? What are the three strongest aspects of an individual's conversation, performance, interview, um, or just qualities uh, in terms of demonstrable skills and strengths that you look at to determine, yeah, this person would be great in this new role?
1: Yeah. So I cannot take the credit for this answer because the answer that I'm going to share, I actually learned it from one of my mentors, one of the great leaders that I have had the privilege to work with, Mr. Rickerby. And Mr. Ricker, we actually learned it from Paul Bean, who is another great leader. Uh, so, you know, um, and it has really become my lens over the years. The qualities that I look for are desire, capacity, and judgment. So, you know, does the person, whether I'm promoting them, I'm hiring them, I am mentoring them, uh, I'm just interacting them with them on a new project or on a cross-functional team. Do they have the desire to produce results, to learn new skills, to be uncomfortable, to you know continue to grow? Do they have the capacity? Because sometimes you will have a lot of desire, which in my mind is a very, very strong component, but you don't have the capacity to adapt to, you know, maybe have translatable skills that you have done something else in another area, but now it can translate to a new area and, and, you know, you don't have that capacity. So capacity is the other one that I would try to assess if this person has, you know, that capacity to adapt, that capacity to learn, to do the job and do it very well. Um, And then the third thing is judgment, which I think that in terms of competencies, that is one of the hardest competencies to teach somebody, you know, to have good judgment, to make good decisions and being able to demonstrate that in your day to day life, in an interview, in a project. I think those are like the super important skills in my mind that I want to assess or try to assess when I hire or promote people.
0: Those are the most three incredibly articulated competencies I have heard from any guest so far. So thank you for setting the gold standard on that question. I think that was really great. Um, you know, Again,
1: I cannot take the credit for that.
0: <laughs> Paul and Rick, thank you for teaching this to Sam. And Sam, thank you for being on the show. Sam, you've dropped so many pearls of wisdom, so many great stories and examples of of leadership and capacity and being able to adapt and really just defining how healthcare is going to grow, advance uh, and be more quality driven. Is there any final piece of information, advice that you'd like to share with the listeners today that we haven't talked about yet?
1: I want to say to the listeners, you know, one thing that we have talked about is that it is important to challenge yourself and continue learning. But the other thing that I want to say is that take a chance on yourself. If you want to take a chance on yourself, if there is a field that intrigues you that you want to learn about, go ahead and do it, you know, because if you are not going to take a chance on yourself, nobody else is going to
0: boy, where were you? And I needed you so many years ago. <laughs> I, my, my, <laughs> I'll give you a great, ex- I'll give you a great story. My dad today, uh, you know, my father's a physician. Uh, he wanted to raise a physician. Instead, he got a pharmacist and he took that, you know, with a grain of salt. Uh, but, you know, what's so funny is, you know, after I left being a practitioner working you know, with patients and I moved into uh, an executive role, even to this day, like this is now 16 years later, he is still asking me, Bita, don't you want to go back to the pharmacy? You know, don't you want to be a pharmacist again? Because he was—that's just his mindset. And I know that that's how most older, you know, professionals may be. But it would have been really nice had he had just said, "You know, take it, Go ahead, try it. Just see what it's like." And you can always fall back on that. So for you to come on the show and say that, like, yeah, take a chance. Like, there's no guarantee it'll succeed, but there's no guarantee it will fail. Um, and yeah. I love the, you know, the encouragement with this.
1: Yeah. You know, my, my dad does that all the time. He is a physician as well. And he wants to ask me now, you know, I uh, graduated out of medical school. I'm a physician. And he, uh, he asked me, why do you not see patients? Like, you know, why, what is, what has stopped you from actually seeing patients? I think now he is starting, he's starting to realize how rewarding it is for me. Uh, what I do and he's starting to respect that but for many many years it was a struggle and I think that it is just one of those things that uh, there is generational gap there is an expectation gap but we have to take a chance on ourselves you know this is one of those things that I hope you and I are going to support our kids when they want to do something different
0: I mean, absolutely, 100%. Sam, thank you so much for being a guest on the Healthcare and Higher podcast. I'm so, so excited by this conversation and feel so much more energized. I'm wishing you a blessed Ramadan and I'm looking forward to seeing you continue to take healthcare to a higher level.
1: That's great, Iqbal. Thank you so much for having me and Eid Mubarak in advance.
0: Thanks for joining me on this episode of the Healthcare and Higher podcast. If you liked what you heard, be sure to follow and subscribe for more. I'm your host, Iqbal Acha, and I invite you to connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter. Let me know what you thought about this episode or my show in general. Also, visit me at www.achainternational.com to learn more about how I help healthcare professionals and healthcare leaders advance their career build a better brand, and create a leadership legacy. I'll be back next week with another episode. But until then, let's keep working to take healthcare to a higher level.